thankful. Um, in fact, the title is The Glory of Thanksgiving. The glory of having a thankful heart because it's through that that God is able to really bring blessing into our life. You know, I, I think sometimes we look at giving thanks or being thankful as just a act that we perform, but there's, there's, really, there, there's literally supernatural power that's released when we have a, when we have a thankful heart. That we, when we make the decision that we're going to be thankful, that we're going to be praisers of Almighty God. There's a, there's a supernatural power that's released when we're, we're willing and able to do that. And, and uh, so I want to talk with you today about being thankful. And so the first scripture that I want to open up with this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read one verse there, but 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. It says, in everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Genosa you didn't say most things. Didn't say quite a few things. It says, in everything. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. You say, well, Pastor, if you knew some of the stuff that I've had to go through, you wouldn't be giving thanks either. I'm not telling you to give thanks for it. It's not what it says. It says to give thanks for everything in the midst of it. No matter what the difficulty is, no matter what it is that we go through, no matter how impossible it appears to be, the Bible says, God says, that we're to give thanks. And how can we do that? When we're in the midst of a crisis in our life, how can we give thanks in the midst of that crisis? Well, we're able to give thanks because we know who our deliverer is. We're not giving thanks for it, we're giving thanks knowing that we have a deliverer that's going to take, them, take us through. You know, when Paul and Silas were in prison, I have a feeling they didn't feel like praising God. Amen. But they didn't feel like it. Here they are in a dungy prison, cold, damp, dirty. They've got shackles. Looks like there's absolutely no hot help for them. But here they are in this prison. And it says at midnight, and I believe that he emphasizes midnight because it's like <clears throat> midnight is the darkest hour. When you're at that time in your life, in any situation, any circumstance where it seems so dark <clears throat> that it can't get any darker, that's where it was where Paul and Silas were concerned. And it says at that moment, 
they began to praise God, the two of them. And again, I want to emphasize the fact, I don't, I don't think they felt like it. I believe it was a decision that they made that they were going to give praise, that they were going to thank, give thanksgiving to their God because he was their deliverer. And it wasn't that they were just simply doing it under their breath. It says the prisoners were listening. In other words, they were praising God loud enough that those around them were able to hear it. They said they gave praise to God and the prison doors were open. In the midst of the darkest hour, in the midst of a crisis, in the midst where there appeared to be absolutely no hope, because they were willing to have a thankful heart and give thanksgiving, they were set free. <clears throat> Freedom doesn't come from complaining and murmuring. Freedom comes from thanksgiving because murmuring and complaining, the emphasis, and I, I, I know of which I speak, it's about me. It's focused on me. Anytime we murmur, anytime we complain, the focus is on us personally. So why is Thanksgiving so important? Thanksgiving is so important because the emphasis has changed. It's no longer focused on me. It's focused on God. It's focused on the answer. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke, the 17th chapter. In Luke, the 17th chapter, we have this example of these individuals. There are 10 of them that had leprosy. And so we, we, we start in the uh, 11th verse, Luke 17. And it says, now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the uh, midst of Samaria and Galilee. When he was entering a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Now, <clears throat> There's two things about this. Number one is they were still at a distance, so they cried out to him. And part of the reason for that was because lepers were not allowed to have contact with anybody because they were considered to be unclean. And so when they were meeting anybody, they would have to cry out, leper, leper, let them know that they're a leper so they could avoid them and go around them. Never feel like a, <laughs> a leper. <clears throat> you know, that's how it usually is for Pastor Becky and I when we go to community functions. We have a, a we sit at a table and everybody sits at everybody uh, the other tables because, you know, we're, we're from that church and so we're leprous, I guess. You know, and so they'd have to cry out, leper, leper, and, or something. And so they cried out to Jesus. And notice, Jesus just simply respond to him. So when he saw them, he said to them, go your, show yourselves to the priest, which was, you know, this is still under the Levitical law, which was 
by law what they were supposed to do in order to be declared clean. They have to go to the priest, he would examine them. And if he didn't see anything, they would come back. And if he didn't see anything again, he could declare them to be clean. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. They weren't even to the, to the priest yet to be able to declare you're clean. And one of them, I'm about to say one of them, you'd think the whole bunch after being cleansed would have said, hey, man, we're whole. Let's go back and tell Jesus about it. No, 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 just one. Just one. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and went with a loud voice glorifying God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet. Now, it's an interesting thing how quickly his mindset was changed because he knew that Jesus had done for him what Jesus had done for him. He didn't stop at a distance and say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm healed. So as he ran up and he fell at his feet. In other words, he knew he was healed. And he fell down at his, on, his, at, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, isn't it interesting that it emphasizes that he was a Samaritan? Remember the story of the woman of the well? She was a Samaritan. Remember when everybody came back, they were so surprised that Jesus would even talk to her because she was a Samaritan and, and, and the, the Jews, they looked down upon them, saw them as a, a lesser individual. Guess what? Prejudice isn't new to the day that we live in. It was back there. And so he was a Samaritan and Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any, were there not found, any found who returned to give thanks to God except this foreigner? Makes you wonder if the others weren't Jews because he only emphasized this one as a foreigner, foreigner, um, whatever. And he, Jesus, said to him, you know, it's one thing to be healed. It's another thing to be made whole. There are a lot of people that are healed, but there are a lot of folk that aren't made whole because in the midst of their healing, they don't have a thankful heart. They have an attitude, well, I deserve it. Let me tell you something. We deserve nothing except eternal damnation. But Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I might have life. But it's interesting. 
He doesn't want us to just simply have life. He wants us to have the abundant life. You can be healed and live. But when we have a thankful heart and return to Jesus, he makes us whole. That's the abundant life. And he looked at the woman and he says, or to the, to the individual that came back to him, and he says, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. <coughs> Do you know what Thanksgiving is? Thanksgiving, I think there's two ways to use it, is an extension or an expression of faith. Remember the woman with the issue of blood, how she had heard about Jesus. The Bible says that she went to Jesus because she thought within herself, if I, can, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And again, here's another woman who's not supposed to be out in public according to the Levitical law. She could be taken to the edge of the city and stoned because of her condition, because she's bleeding. But in spite of all that, she fought her way through the crowd and she got to Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. And as she touched the hem of his garment, she felt virtue. She felt that she was healed within her body. And she was just going to dis disappear in the background. And Jesus said, somebody touched me. And finally, she realized that she was found out she came forward and Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. She is already healed. She felt that within her body. But when Jesus spoke over her, he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. We limit God. We think we, because we pray for something and we, we get it, We've got it. But there's so much more available to us. Whatever it is that God has blessed us with in our lives, there ought to be such thanksgiving that is flowing out of us because as we have that thankful heart, we experience the wholeness that he desires for each and every one of us. When he talks about being whole, he's talking about every area of our life. Galatians 3 says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. That through Christ Jesus, we have received salvation. And we know in studying that word sozo, the word salvation, that it's all inclusive. It's so much more than that we, if this was all there was, it would be worth it. That we get to go to heaven when we die. But it's healing, it's prosperity, it's deliverance. It's the abundant life for each and every one of us right now. And how do we enter into that? We enter into it with thanksgiving. Because you know what? If we don't have a thankful heart, we're so quick to forget what Jesus has done for us. And we begin to have the mentality, what have you done for me lately? Well, I don't know what he's done for you lately. But I know one thing for sure that if you're sitting in this room, 
He probably, you probably realize that it was through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that your sins were forgiven and that you have the abundant life. So if you can't find anything else to be thankful for, there's a good one. There's a good one to spend hours thanking him that you got a home in heaven, that you don't have to spend eternity damned because he's made you whole. Let's turn over to the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. And here we have Jesus, and he's with the multitude, and they, uh, they've been out listening to him for a long time, and uh, they don't have any food. And uh, he tells his disciples to give them something, give them something to eat. And they say, well, you know, we really don't have anything. But then we go on in the ninth verse and it says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, and see, that's what we do. We look at the circumstances. And we say, what are we going to do? It's so, it's so big. It's so monstrous. We, we can't ever overcome it. There's something about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving takes you over into another realm. Thanksgiving takes you over into the realm of the supernatural. Let me tell you something. In our lives that we live today, if, we're gonna, if we think we're going to function effectively by just depending upon the natural, we're deceived. Each and every one of us, we have tremendous natural talents. We can do so many things in our own strength, in our own abilities. But I will guarantee you, at some point, you're going to come up against something that your natural abilities will not be able to sustain you. Your natural abilities will not be able to take you over the top. But God can. The way that we get into that, or one of the ways, is through a heart of thanksgiving. And so here they are. They're out in the wilderness where there's nothing to eat. The people are hungry. They have nothing to feed them. And so they turn to Jesus and they say, well, there's a little boy here. He's got five barley loaves and a couple fish. But what's that so to so many of us? And, and the fish was not a tuna. It was a little bitty fish that was dried that was in his lunch. Kind of like a sardine. And so how's this going to feed so many? And so Jesus says to them, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, what did he do? He gave thanks. In the midst 
of the situation where it appeared to not be enough, Jesus gave thanks. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he began to give thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and disciples, <clears throat> to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, and as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, everybody say filled. So they didn't go away hungry. They didn't get just a treat. They had a meal. And they were all filled. And when they were all filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. They were filled. <clears throat> Do you know what this is? This reveals to us a God that is more than enough. Not almost enough, not barely enough, a God that is more than enough. Let me tell you something about the God that you serve. He's a God that is more than enough. Well, you know, that was Jesus. Yes, it was. And who are you? You are the body of Christ. You are the means by which Jesus is to manifest himself in the earth today. Jesus, the Son of God, set aside his deity and he walked upon earth as you and I. And when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, do you realize that Jesus never performed a miracle until after his baptism when the Holy Ghost came upon him? And from that moment on, Jesus was filled with power and authority, but what? it was because of the Holy Spirit that lived, abided, that moved within him. And you and I, we look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm nothing. Oh, you're something. You're a vessel. You're a vessel that has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is within you so that you can do as Jesus did. Jesus said to his disciples, do you likewise? What are we to do? We're to fulfill the great commission, which is what? To preach the gospel. What did Jesus do? He preached the gospel. We're to heal the sick. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. We're to cast out demons. What did Jesus do? He casted out demons. Though they wanted to harm him, they couldn't harm him until he allowed them. Guess what? The soldiers didn't nail Jesus to the cross. He allowed it. Remember, he told his disciples, at any moment I can call on my, disciple, on, on my father and he'll send a myriad of angels, more than we can number. So they didn't take his life. Jesus gave his life for you and I. And the same Holy Spirit that was empowering Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that lives within us. Just as Jesus was able to perform miracles. Why? Because he was thankful. Notice what he did. What did Jesus do when he spent all those hours away from his disciples? When they were 
heading out to the other side of the lake, but Jesus stayed behind. What was he doing? He was praying. What kind of prayer was he praying? I believe it was a heart of thanksgiving that was thanking his father for all he's done and all he's going to do in the lives of individuals. Wasn't by name, but someplace in those prayers, you and I were included. Because he had a thankful heart. And we need to have a thankful heart. Recognizing what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. And the other part of it is, is when we have a thankful heart, that's where the peace comes from. Listen, when I focus on self, I lose peace. Thanks for coming this morning. Because if nothing else, you give me a little peace. Because, you know, the enemy wants to lie. And he wants to say, oh, man, you're over the hill. You're done for. Why would anybody want to have to listen to you again after 30? I mean, I wouldn't. So it amazes me that you show up. But guess what? I listen to that. When I listen to that, I don't have any peace in my life. But, I began, but, but when I have a thankful heart and I begin to thank him, for what he's done and I focus on him rather than me, what happens? Peace comes. And you know what? The same thing is true for each and every one of us in our lives. When we get our eyes off of God, when we get our eyes off of Jesus, when we get our eyes off of what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives, we lose our peace. And the root of it is we've lost the heart of thanksgiving before we lose our peace. I want to read this out of the Amplified Bible. It's 2 Corinthians 5.15. For all these things are taking place for your sake, so that the more grace, divine favor, and spiritual blessing extends to all, extends to more and more people, and multiplies through the many the more thanksgiving may increase and resound the glory of God. Resound the glory of God. Through what? Thanksgiving. But notice what it says. That the, so that the more grace, the more divine favor, the more spiritual blessing extended to more and more people. And what's the root of it? Thanksgiving as we praise him, as we worship him, as we acknowledge him for who he truly is. Jeremiah 30, 19, it says, then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Isn't it interesting, it almost appears as we go through, through so much of this, that thanksgiving is one of the roots of the manifested glory of God. And one of the things that we see in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, that glory represents 
the manifested presence of God in their midst. We see Solomon in the temple when they were, they were dedicating it. And it says that the, <clears throat> the priests weren't able to stand because of the glory of God, the manifest presence of God. Well, that was back then. Well, I don't know if you've ever read Brother Hagin's book, Visions. This basically is his testimony, his story, and how he was a very sickly child and wasn't expected to live, and he had a blood disease and a heart disease and, and all the rest. And, and while he was bedridden, God showed him the scripture in Mark 11, 23 and 24. And he began to claim that scripture. And at one point, he had literally died. And he came back. And when he came back, there was such glory that nobody could come into the room that he was in. They would, they would try to go into the room. But the, the glory of God was so present that nobody could get into the room. His mother tried and she couldn't get into the room. Then his grandmother tried. And she was a determined old bird. So she tried to get in the room and knocked her back and tried again. And so she went all the way across the room and ran as fast as she could and hit the door and she couldn't go through. And so she just grabbed a hold of it because that's as close as the glory that she could get. You're all looking at me like a cow at a new gate. You don't know whether to go through it or not. But that was the story. That was, so, so God wants to manifest his glory to you and I. And he's going to do it through a heart of thanksgiving as we recognize what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do in each and every one of our lives. That's the glory, the manifested presence of God. And let me tell you something. There's something about that presence. It's undescribable, but it's attainable. I remember being down in Tulsa. Many of you have heard this already because after 35 years, you've heard all my stories. We're down in Tulsa. I'd just taken this church, we'd just, we'd just moved here. And we'd only been here a week, maybe two weeks. We went down to Tulsa for camp meeting. Brother Hagen's still alive then. We're down in camp meeting, and Brother Hagen looks down in the front row and he sees Oral Roberts sitting there. And he says, oh, I see my good friend Oral's here tonight. Oral, come up here and greet everybody. And so Oral Roberts comes on the platform and as he's walking towards the podium where Brother Hagen was, Brother Hagen turned around and started walking back to his seat and says, well, as long as you're up here, you might as well go ahead and preach. He sat down. So if I call on you, <laughs> but has something in your heart. So he went back and sat down and Oral preached this message. It came out later on in a book. The title of the book was 
flood tide. Was that God, you know, you can contain a trickle, you can contain a stream, you can even contain a river, but you can't contain a flood. God wants us in a flood. He wants the blessings to be so great in our lives that we can't contain them. They're uncontainable. Let me tell you, that's how big God is. He's bigger than any of us are able to contain him. And so he preaches that message. He gets done with the message. He goes and he, he starts heading down to sit, sit down. Norval Hayes comes up here, up to the platform. Norval is a teacher still alive, lives in, down in someplace. Um, can't think of the town right now. But I think it's in Tennessee. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, Norval gets up there and he, he, he says, Brother Hagin, I don't want to be out of order, but, but God's speaking to my heart. I believe that we're supposed to take another offering. They'd already taken the offering for Rama, something like $200,000. says, I, I believe we're supposed to take another offering. And so uh, he says, well, Oral comes back. He says, yeah, that's right, that's right. I knew it, I knew it but I just, I just didn't feel like I should say anything. That, but that's right, that's right. So I said, well, okay. Figure out a way to do it. And he says, well, we're not going to pass the plates again. If you've got an offering, bring it up and throw it on the platform. And so, I mean, everybody starts moving. They said, we're going to do it by rows. And so people started to go up. And, and it's taken quite a while because it's in the Tulsa Auditorium. And all of a sudden, people start climbing over chairs. They start coming out of the balconies because they want to give their offering. And I'm, I'm sitting there next to Pastor Becky, and I says, God spoke in my heart. I, I, I believe we're supposed to give $1,000. I mean, we've only been in the church two weeks. I don't know what they're going to say. And, and if they don't want to give it, we're, we're going to have to follow through on our commitment. We're going to have to give it. And she says, well, you just obey God. So I took my offering, and I get up there, and, and it's, they've, they've got this carpet in the front. And I stepped on that carpet, and it was like, whoa. This is really cool. It's like everything, I mean, I stepped in the glory of God. Through my commitment up there. And of course, it came back and the elders said, well, if we can't trust you with a thousand bucks, we're in trouble. And so they, we took care of it. But that's the glory of God that's available to each and every one of us. And it comes through a heart of thanksgiving. It was such an interesting thing because here you are receiving an offering and people can't wait to give their offering. We had that happen to us here one time. We were still up in the Civic Center and, and um, Lauren Hershey was here and he was preaching for Jimmy Rushton. He, he says, I don't ever do this, but I feel like I'm supposed to preach on giving. And he pre preached on giving. And, and literally, every one of us in that room, we couldn't wait for him to shut up so we could give our offering. Because there was just something that was burning on the inside. of That's the anointing of God. You struggle with giving? Get a thankful heart. 
The reason we struggle with giving is because we feel like we have to give something up. It's because the focus is on me, it's not on him. But when we're thankful, a giving heart begins to be part of who we are. Let's, and, and, and peace. I guess that's what I was wanting to get to. There was such a peace in both of those situations. It's because of the glory of God. Colossians, the third chapter, in the 15th verse. And it says, and let, did you get that? And let, or we could say, you have to allow and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Guess what? It's a conscious decision as to whether or not we're going to allow the peace of God to rule in our heart. And do you know where it begins? It begins with are we gonna moan and groan or are we gonna be thankful? Are we gonna talk, talk God up or are we gonna talk him down? Are we gonna brag about what God has done in my life or am I gonna brag about what the devil has done in my life? Whoa. But guess what, every time we're walking around complaining, talking about how the thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief, not Jesus. And so every time we're bragging about how rotten our life is, how miserable we are, how awful things are, what are we doing? We're bragging on him, telling everybody how successful he is in our lives. But guess what? When we turn it around, we have a thankful heart, and we begin to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. We begin to brag on him. And guess what? We have peace. <clears throat> Lost my place. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Because that's where it all begins, as we are thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But notice what the root of it is. The root of it all is to be thankful. You know, last week we talked about the sowing of the seed. We looked at Mark 4 and, and, and Matthew, the 13th chapter. And we talked about how the birds of the air, Satan, the devil, the thief, comes immediately to steal that seed. You know, one of the things that allows the roots to go deep is when we have a thankful heart. You know, in the Old Testament, 
they'll talk about the cloud and the, the manifested presence of God. I believe that that's for today, but we're in a different dispensation. We're in a different time frame from the standpoint that we can have and experience that with the Word of God on a continual basis because every time we approach the Word of God, we're entering into the very presence of God because His Word is He speaking to each and every one of us. And so when we have a thankful heart towards the Word of God, you see, that's where thanksgiving is an expression of faith. That even before we see it, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Even before we see it with our physical eye, what do we do? We begin to be thankful. Why? Because we know that God is not a liar. That God is not a man that he should lie. That when his word says it, it's settled eternally. And so we thank him for it. Because we know that Whatever he's told us according to his word. If he says that by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed, whether we see it or not, we know that by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed. And so we have a thankful heart and we begin to give him praise and honor and glory for all that he has done, what he's going to do in each of our lives. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, in the sixth verse, Now hear this, not just reading words, hear this, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Pastor, that's, that, that's absolutely impossible, you know, because uh, I, I'm a worrier, my mother is a worrier, my grandmother is, a, we're a long line of worriers. Because we worry, we get, we get anxious about things. So, your circumstances override the Word of God. He tells us to be anxious for nothing. Guess what? That's a choice. We have to choose not to be anxious. Don't worry. Don't, don't, I, I know what worry is. My mother was Maxine. She worried about everything. I remember we were living in Missouri. We were going to go visit them for a, over the weekend because, I mean, they had flights for 50 bucks from St. Louis to Minneapolis. And so we flew up so we could spend the weekend with mom and dad. And, you know, <clears throat> uh, we're, on the, we're, we're in the car driving to their house from the airport and Mom says, you know, I've just been feeling kind of sad today because I know you're leaving in two days. <laughs> just got there. Sorry, feel sad because we're leaving in two days. Why don't you enjoy the two days? Well, you know, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm kind of down. I know I'm going to die someday. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Disappointed that every man wants to die. We're all going to kick off. Let's live. You know, I've decided something. I'm going to live till I die. 
Amen. There's a lot of zombies walking around. They're just wasting a lot of air because they're not living. I'm going to live till I die. But you know what? It's a choice. Because every day there's opportunities to be anxious. Every day there's opportunities to, be, to worry. Every day there are opportunities to think less of yourself than you ought. I know what the Bible says, don't, to think, don't think more of yourself than you ought. But you know what? I think the biggest struggle with most Christians is they think less of themselves than they should. I run into very few that are, that are too high and mighty. They say, well, you know, you gotta be careful. You might be too heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Haven't found that person yet. I would like to see people more heavenly minded rather than less. Did I read that yet? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything. Say everything. Everything. Everything means everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But notice, it's not just making your requests, it's with thanksgiving. How does thanksgiving enter into making your requests known to God? Knowing that he's gonna answer you. Father, I need healing in my body, but I thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. And so I rejoice in that. Father, <clears throat> I need supply. I don't see it as I, our, our needs aren't being met here. And so that can't be you. Because you promise that you're going to supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so I thank you now for that supply. And if, if it means that I've got to get a different job, whatever is necessary for that supply, I thank you that you're the one that's going to pave the way. And so I trust you. And I trust you completely. John 14, 27 says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, peace I leave with you. What's the root of peace? Thanksgiving. A lot of times we want to have peace in our life, but we're not going to have peace as long as we, we dwell upon the negative and give it voice in our lives. It's not going to be any peace in that. But when we begin to have a thankful heart and we begin to rejoice in what he's done for us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm not going to be troubled. I'm not going to be troubled. I'm not going to be troubled. You're going to be troubled. Unless you replace those troubled thoughts with something that's positive, something that's edifying, which is the Word of God. You see, Romans 12, 2 wasn't given to us for one moment when we were born again that we were to renew our minds. That is a continual operation that's to be taken place in our lives. Every moment of every day, we're renewing our minds. Our minds are changing. What are we feeding it? Are we going to feed it something positive? Or are we going to feed it something negative? 
am I too serious? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm serious because this is serious. This is where life is. I'm not mad. I'm just serious. Amen. Because this is, this is serious stuff because literally we're talking about life and death, blessing and cursing here. What are we going to choose? As for me and my house, we're going to choose life. As for me and my house, we're going to choose blessing. As for me and my house, we're going to choose peace. We're going to choose to be thankful rather than the other. Isaiah 6, or 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. When our minds are stayed or we keep our thoughts, we keep our minds on God, we have peace. When we allow our minds to stray, we won't have peace. And where's the root of it again? It's to have a, have a thankful heart. Let me read one more passage to you. This comes out of Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark, the fourth chapter, in the 35th verse. Remember when I talked to you earlier about how Jesus oftentimes, he would, he would go off by himself and he would pray. And I believe it was that which allowed him to have the proper mindset when difficulty would come their way. But notice verse 35 in Mark 4, it says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Notice Jesus did not say, let us try to get to the other side. Let's make an attempt to get to the other side. Jesus, the living word of God, said, let us go to the other side. And so, now when they had left the multitude, they took him alone in a boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern Asleep on a pillow. This is Jesus. You know what peace does? In the midst of crisis, you lay your head on the pillow and you go to sleep. You know what turmoil does? You lay your head on the pillow and you toss and turn all night long. Because your heart is not a heart of thanksgiving, because your heart, your mind is focused on the problem, on the difficulty. Why was Jesus, in the midst of a storm, able to lay his head upon the pillow and go to sleep? Because he knew his God. Because he knows what he had already said. We're going to the other side. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, that was news to Jesus because he didn't know they were perishing. He thought they were going to the other side. Then he rose, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, 
be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no fear, or that you have no faith? Why is it that we have no faith? It's because we fear. We fear the conditions. We fear what we see with our eyes. We've allowed that which is on the outside to get onto the inside. It affects how we think. It affects how we believe. How do we fight that? Well, like I said other, earlier, it's not going to be because I'm, I'm going to tell myself I'm not going to think that. It's going to because, be because I replace it with something and the way I do that is with a thankful heart. David defeated Goliath because of a thankful heart, because he knew what God had already done in his life, because God hadn't failed him in the past, he wasn't going to fail him now. What he say as he ran towards that giant? He said, I've killed the lion of Carol the bear. What is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? What it was based on? It was based on what he knew. What he knew about his God. And so he was able to be thankful. I've got um, seven things I just want to go through real quickly that are a result of having a grateful heart. I want you to know for you to be thankful, for you to have a grateful heart, <clears throat> there are tremendous benefits to your everyday life. Benefits to your health. Benefits. And I've just put down seven. Being thankful, number one, being thankful gives your, <clears throat> gets your eyes off of yourself and helps you to focus on God. We talked about that. Thankfulness gets your eyes off of self and gets your eyes on God. Number two, a grateful heart reminds us we're not in control. God's in control. And he's a mighty one and he wants to control. It brings us back to that place of humility where we begin to acknowledge, God, I am what I am, I have what I have, and it's all because of you. And I thank you. Number three, gratitude helps us recognize that we have much for which to be thankful. You know, it's interesting is when you, when you take the time to begin to focus on the blessings that you have in your life, all at once you begin to realize how blessed you really are. But the lie of the enemy is to tell you have nothing to be thankful for. Because when we begin to be thankful, it gets our attention off of the problems, off of everything else, and it gets us on to God and on to His successes. Number four, our grateful heart reminds us that God is the giver of all good things. It reminds us that we don't have to be self-sufficient, that we can rely upon him, that he's never going to let us down, that he's the ultimate provider in our life when we trust him. 
But when we trust man, what happens is the focus gets away from him. It's an interesting thing about man. Man will always disappoint you. You know, that's why marriages are difficult. Because you're naive enough to think that you're marrying some kind of a perfect individual. And about a day and a half into the marriage, you realize you were wrong. <laughs> this, this dude has flaws. There's problems here. But you know, there's one that'll never fail us. God. A grateful heart reminds us that God is the giver of all good things. Number five, a heart of gratitude leaves no room for complaining. You know, it's a very interesting thing. It's very difficult to be thankful and complain at the same time. And so what a thankful heart does is it gets rid of that. It gets rid of the grumbling and uh, makes us more pleasant for people to be around. Amen. That's a good thing. Makes the enemy flee. You have an adversary. You have an enemy. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we begin to declare the goodness of God and what his word has done in our life, he flees. James says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. How do we submit to God? Thanksgiving is a good way. Be thankful of his word. And then finally, number seven. That's seven. I'll go through them again. Number one, being thankful gets your eyes off of yourself and helps you to refocus on God. Number two, a grateful heart reminds us we are not in control. Number three, gratitude helps us recognize that we have much for which to be thankful. Number four, a grateful heart reminds us that God is the giver of all good gifts. Number five, a heart of gratitude leaves no room for complaining. Number six, it makes the enemy flee. And now number seven, it opens the door to continued blessings and invites God's presence into our life. There's a, there's a refreshing, there's a, a renewing when we have a, a thankful heart. And it opens the door for greater blessings, not just for us, but for our children, for all those around us. Because God's blessing isn't just for you and for me. It's his will for all to experience it. And we're the vessels, we're the channels, if you will, that he's gonna reach, use to reach and touch the lives of others. And you know, it's an interesting thing. It's difficult to be a blessing if you're not blessed. But when you recognize and you acknowledge that you are the blessed of the Lord, all at once it becomes 
much easier to be a blessing to others. A thankful heart. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Take time every day and sit down and focus on the goodness of God. Recognize how he's blessed you. Review the blessings that he's brought into your life. You know what? When we begin to do that, our salvation experience all at once becomes very current. It's not something that took place 40 years ago. It's something that I'm still experiencing and grateful for today. You say, well, pastor, that's a given. No, it isn't. I know a lot of people that are not thankful, are not able to express their thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for them in their life. What it does is it opens the door. When we go, <clears throat> begin to go through the list of what God has done for each and every one of us, it refreshes us and encourages us. It gives us peace. But then it opens the way for us to be able to see the other graces that he's provided for each and every one of us. But thanksgiving is a big part of it. And so, Father, we thank you today. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. We thank you for the new and living covenant that we're under. We thank you, Father, for the many graces that you've poured out upon our lives and the so many more that are available to us. We thank you, Father, and are so grateful that even when we failed, you've never failed. Even when we've turned away, you've never turned away from us. And so, Father, we desire that grateful heart. We desire for thanksgiving to be so much a part of our everyday life that when we get into the midst of a crisis, a trial, a test, those around us will hear us give you praise and honor and glory because we know that what's before us is temporal. What you have for us is everlasting. And so, Father, we thank you this morning that we could come into this building, into this place, to worship you, to hear your word. And, Father, we thank you that as we leave today, we've been blessed and honored with the privilege to represent you in a lost and dying world. Use us, Father, for your glory. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. 
Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. And those of you that are going to be going to the missions meeting, remember it's out back in just a few minutes.